Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The podcast is about to begin. Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 76 of the Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. I am your host, Tina Romero Jr., a.k.a. The Graveyard Grumbler. Today's episode is the beginning of probably several parts to this episode. Like I mentioned last week, we're going to be doing the John F. Kennedy conspiracy because, I mean, I did the Marilyn Monroe conspiracy and that kind of segued into the John F. Kennedy since, you know, they hooked up a little bit. You can't blame them. So today is part one of the John F. Kennedy conspiracy assassination well, his death, really. So um, what we're going to do is just kind of, it's kind of like, um, not kind of, it's going to be exactly like last week. I'm going to read some mundane information about uh, President Kennedy, and then we'll get into the juicy meat and potatoes, which unfortunately, <laughs> they will probably cut off there and pick up following uh, the following weeks uh, during part two and three of the show. So let's go ahead and get into it right now. Who is John F. Kennedy? For those of you who don't know who John F. Kennedy John F. Kennedy was actually our 35th president who was elected back in the 60s. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with John F. Kennedy, he was actually a pretty cool guy from what I was reading. So who is John F. Kennedy? John Fitzgerald Kennedy was born outside Boston in Brookline, Massachusetts on May 29th, 1977. I'm sorry, <laughs> June, May 29th, 1917 at 83 Beale Street to Joseph P. Kennedy Sr., a businessman and politician, and Rose Kennedy, a philanthropist and socialite. You know, I never knew what a socialite was. I, I, I always hear, oh, you know, the, the, she's a socialite of this and he's a socialite. I, I never knew what that meant. And I still don't know what it means. <laughs> Kennedy lived in Brookline for the first 10 years of his life. He attended the local St. Aidan's Church where he was baptized on June 19, 1917. He was educated through the fourth grade at the Edward Devotion School and no, the Noble and Green Greeno, Greeno Lower School. And the, Dexter, and the Dexter School, all located in the Boston area. JFK's earliest memories involved accompanying his father, his grandfather Fitzgerald on walking tours of historic sites in Boston and discussions at the family dinner table about politics, sparking his interest in history and public service. So, I mean, you know, it's not really unfamiliar. We have, we have a kid here who is just a regular old kid enjoying his family life and growing up. Unfortunately, it's through Catholic school, but, you know, it's not it's not a bad life so far you know what i mean like yeah so just like uh just like last week i'm gonna be jumping a lot of information because if i did every little bit of information about john f kennedy we would literally be here for like 10 parts to this podcast and i don't want to do 10 parts on just the, the general information of john f kennedy I, if i seriously did all of his information on every little attribute and every little thing that he's accomplished in his life, this would be a 10-part episode just off of that. I, we, I wouldn't even be able to get to the meat and potatoes. You know what I mean? So, again, I'm just going to skip over. If you want to have, if you want to do any information, I, I did a lot of research from uh, just historical websites, president websites, and uh, Wikipedia. Yes, I know Wikipedia is there for, you know, it might be, it might be true, it might not be true, it might be, you know, but I, I use I use Wikipedia uh, for for a lot of the, the things, and then I cross-check and stuff like that. I, I always forget to mention where I get my information from, so my bad. So let's keep going. JFK's elder brother, Joe, had been the family's political standard, standard bearer and had been tapped by their father to seek the presidency. Joe's death during the war in 1944 changed that course. 
and the assignment fell to JFK as the second eldest of the Kennedy siblings. So, I mean, that's already messed up. You already have one family member who, or the father who's a politician, who says, yo, my oldest son, you are going to be, you're great at what you do, and you are going to run for president. Bottom line, no say so. Yo, but dad, I don't want to go and become president. Well, you don't have a choice. You're going to become a president. He goes to, you know, a little famous war, WW2, gets killed, and the dad's all, damn, I just lost my son. Yo, JFK, you're next. Tag team, you're in, brother. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure that's not how it went. I'm pretty sure it was very devastating for the Kennedy family to lose their oldest son. However, you can't just turn around your your excitement. Not however. you. I mean, I, I guess I don't, I don't think it's right for for you to turn your attention to the next kid and, and kind of push him to that direction. Yeah, I know. Having a president as, as a child as a president is probably one of the best accomplishments ever. However, man, it's just not something that, that I see as positive. That's already enough stress as a kid. At the urging of Kennedy's father, U.S. Representative James Michael Curley vacated his seat in the strongly Democratic 11th Cong Congressional District of Massachusetts to become mayor of Boston in 1946. Kennedy established his residency at an apartment building on 122 Bowdoing Street across from Massachusetts State House. With his father financing and running his campaign under the slogan, quote, the new generations offers a leader, end quote. Kennedy won the Democratic primary with 42% of the votes, defeating 10 other candidates. So at, at an early age, Kennedy's already getting, getting, uh, getting that recognition. Like, yo, I, I know what I'm doing. But thanks to dad's, you know, endorsement and his his already well-established life as in the politic in the in the political world, and of course his money, having that extra cash does not. I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's not gonna it's not gonna go against you <laughs> when you're when you when you're running uh, when you're running shit. You know, the other person doesn't have enough money, and you do. Then, uh, hey, money goes to the winner. I'm guessing. As early as 1949, Kennedy began preparing to run for the Senate for the Senate in 1952 against Republican three-term incumbent Henry Cabot Lodge Jr. with the campaign slogan, quote, Kennedy will do more for Massachusetts, end quote. Joseph Kennedy again financed his son's candidacy with while John Kennedy's younger brother, Robert F. Kennedy, emerged as an important member of the campaign as his manager. The campaign hosted a series of the campaign hosted a series of teas sponsored by Kennedy's mother and sisters at hotels and parlors across Massachusetts to reach out to women voters. So this was a whole family affair. The whole all the Kennedys were were just just like, yo, we should all get in on this and we should all have fun. So why not just get into it, get in where you fit in, and let's let's get this shit done. And, you know, hold when, when it says they're hosting teas, it's kind of it's, it's it's one of those things where the, the family would go to different areas and say, yo, come and have some tea with me. My son is running for the Congress. We can talk about it. We can get your, you know, just just kind of like befriend them and then get their vote to help their son be, win, win whatever they were winning. That's fine. You know, hey, there's I mean, people say that there's rules in in, in elections, but there's no rules in, in elections. Again, remember, I am going to be jumping a lot of JFK's history. I want to get to the meat and potatoes. This is where I, I'm, I'm starting to salivate on how excited I am to to get to the conspiracy shit of, of JFK's death. Not salivate. That, 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 that sounds really gross. So JFK's presidential election on December 17th, 1959, a letter from Kennedy staff, which was to be sent to activate and inf activate 
and influence Democrats was leaked stating that he would announce his presidential campaign on January 2nd, 1960. On January 2nd, 1960, Kennedy announced his candidacy for the Democratic presidential nomination. Though some questioned Kennedy's age and experience, his charisma and eloquence earned him numerous supporters. I don't know about you, okay? You know, I, I'm not I'm not really big into politics. I'm really not. However, I, I kind of want to—I'm kind of tired of seeing old guys or older people run for presidency. You know what I mean? It, 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 okay, here, here's my here's my quick three minutes or two twenty five seconds of of uh, a political uh, not not political but my, my political opinion. So don't take it to heart. For me, I feel that in order for our country to move forward and to get with the the evolving things that are happening around our country we need to stop voting in older individuals we should we i mean we should be looking at nominating and and electing younger individuals i mean such as kennedy kennedy was in his or in his in his early 40s when he became president one of the youngest presidents in united states history that that's not just something where hey you know he's young let's give him the job no 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 i i think we lost the, i think after kennedy was assassinated I think we kind of lost that to where we we need to we, we need to vote older vote in older individuals because they know what's best for the country. They know they I mean, I'm sure they have some part to understand, but they just don't have the understanding as a younger candidate would have compared to an older candidate. That's just my opinion. And it's over. Let's keep going. Many Americans held anti-Catholic attitudes, but Kennedy's vocal support of the, separ of the separation of church and state helped defuse the situation. His, relig his religion also helped him win a, win a devoted following among many Catholic voters. Kennedy faced several potential challengers for the Democratic nomination, including Senate Majority Lyndon B. Johnson, Adley Stevenson II, and Senator Hubert Humphrey. By the way, Lyndon B. Johnson ended up becoming JFK's vice president. Kennedy's presidential campaign was a family affair funded by his father and with his younger brother Robert acting as his campaign manager. John preferred Ivy League policy advisors, advisors but unlike his father, he enjoyed the give and the take of Massachusetts politics and built a largely Irish team of campaign, campaigners headed by Larry O'Brien and Kenneth O'Donnell. Kennedy traveled extensively to build his support among Democratic elites and voters. So there's nothing there. I mean, it's a family affair. We get it done. Let's just keep, uh, let's just keep trucking and, and let's, get, let's get our boy in the presidency. So, and, you know, it's, not, it's nothing different. At the time, party officials controlled most of the delegates, but several states also held primaries, and Kennedy sought to, sought to win several primaries to boost his chances of winning the nomination. In his first major test, Kennedy won the Wisconsin primary effectively, ending Humphrey's hopes of winning the presidency. Nonetheless, Kennedy and Humphrey faced each other in a competitive West Virginia primary in which Kennedy could not benefit from a Catholic bloc, as he had in Wisconsin. Kennedy won the West Virginia primary, impressing many in the party, but at the start of the 1960 Democratic National Convention, it was unclear as to whether he would win the nomination. So even then, around 1960, he was still unsure if Kennedy was going to actually become the, the president nominee, the Democratic president, uh, Democratic 
presidential nominee. <laughs> it, it, it's just an ongoing process where you have to fight, you have to keep going, and you have to try to figure out, not fit, but beat out everyone saying, hey, I'm better for the job than this individual. It, it, it's, I mean, it's not a bad thing, but it's not, it's just a thing, you know, it's, it's a competitive field. Duh, come on now. Between September and October, Kennedy squared off against Nixon in the first televised presidential debates in U.S. history. During these programs, Nixon had, Nixon had an injured leg, five o'clock shadow, and was perspiring, making him look tense and uncomfortable. Conversely, Kennedy wore makeup and appeared relaxed, which helped the large television audi audience to view him as the winner. On average, radio listeners thought that Nixon had won or the debate or that debates were a draw. The debates are now considered a milestone in American political history. The point at which the medium of television began to play a dominant role in politics. I think television should have been. I, I think the I think the the media and television should not have ever been televised and, and put into politics. Just leave it on radio so no one can see. Just 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 don't let nobody spin that shit. Just keep it raw, raw and intense. You know. Kennedy's campaign gained momentum after the first debate, and he pulled slightly ahead of Nixon in most polls. On election day, Kennedy defeated Nixon in one of the closest presidential elections of the 20th century. In the national popular vote, by most accounts, Kennedy led Nixon by just two-tenths of one percent, 49.7 percent to 49.5 percent, while in the elector electoral college, he won 303 votes to Nixon's 219. 269 were needed to win. 14 electors from Mississippi and Alabama refused to support Ken Kennedy because of his support for the civil rights movement. They voted for Senator Harry F. Byrd of Virginia, as did an elector from Oklahoma. Kennedy became the youngest person at age 43 ever elected to the presidency, though the although Theodore Roosevelt was a year younger at 42 when he was automatically assumed the office after the assassination of William McKinley in 1901. You know what? That's really disheartening. I mean, that's that's really shitty to know that our. I mean, it's it's part of history. Unfortunately, you know, when you have certain southern states like Mississippi and Alabama who refused to support Kennedy because he was all for the civil rights movement and to bring us into one, literally one America, and still still instead of having the segregation of of uh, of colored people and white people, it just doesn't make any sense to me why that would be even an issue. I mean. Maybe because I'm, I was born in 1981, and, and I was raised a whole lot different from what they were back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. You know, but still, if, if, you're, if you know the individual is better for the job, but you're solely, solely voting for him because that, that, that exacerbates or that, that voices your hatred— so you're going to side with a different individual based off your agreements of hatred and segregation. It makes no goddamn sense to me for you to vote for something like that. Even though Kennedy has probably had way more, way more intuitive or insight on actually how to run a country versus keeping everything segregated and this is that you can't drink here, you can't drink there. So we're going to go ahead and, and vote against it and keep the country in a whirlpool of, of, of a shitstorm. Although, all because you want to agree with an, with an individual who spews hatred and segregation. Hey, whatever, man. So his presidential term, he was president from 1961 to 1963. The average year or the, the one term for a president in uh, modern day 
USA Times is four years. A president is four years in office. President Kennedy was only in office for three years. That is a shitty day. John F. Kennedy was sworn in as the 35th president at noon on January 20th, 1961. In his inaugural address, he spoke of the need for all Americans to be active citizens, famously saying, quote, ask what, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, end quote. That was one of the most popular, insane sayings and, and speeches given by any president in the modern history. I mean, you hear that shit, and all of a sudden, I want to walk around with OK USA underwear. I want to have a two by four, naked, wearing speedos. That's with my thumb in the air, screaming USA, USA, ho! I mean, and on my two by four, I want to put freedom, bitch. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things that you hear. You hear that famous, famous. Quote from John F. Kennedy, ask what ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I, I think a lot of people again, again I, I, this is a real political thick <laughs> episode, but I'm trying not to be political. I'm, I'm seriously just trying to be neutral and not do any. But this is just my personal opinion. That's why it's the podcast. You know what I mean? I think a lot of people want what the country can do for them and forget that they can do stuff to help make the country better. You know what I mean? He asked the nations of the world to join together to fight what he called, quote, common enemy, common enemies of man, tyranny, poverty, disease, and war itself, end quote. He, John F. Kennedy also added to that famous inauguration speech, quote, all this will not be finished in the first 100 days, nor will it be finished in the first 1,000 days, nor nor in the life of this administration, nor even perhaps in our lifetime on this planet. But let us begin. In quote, in closing, he ex- in closing, he expanded on his desire for greater internationalism, quote, saying, quote, finally, whether you are citizens of America or citizens of the world, ask of us here the same high standards of strength and sacrifice, which we ask of you in quote. And that fool has some badass words, doesn't he? Yeah, just, just some cool-ass shit. The Eisenhower administration had created a plan to overthrow... <laughs> okay, so I'm fast-forwarding several things. This is, this is what I'm going to get into now. Yeah, is, uh, it, it's, uh, it's starting to do with, with uh, John F. Kennedy's actual work uh, as, as a president. He is going, you know, he's already starting to do things. He's trying to clean up what President Eisenhower left over, or sorry, yeah, the Eisenhower administration left over for him to try to fix and and, and get straightened out. So this is what we're still, now we're going into his actual duties. Again, now this is where we're starting going into some of the, some of the conspiracies of why he was possibly assassinated. This right here, what I'm going to read off about, about uh, the plan to overthrow Fidel Castro's regime in Cuba this is one of the biggest conspiracies that led him to, or supposedly, allegedly led him to be assassinated. Is it true? No one knows. It still has yet to be solved if that was an actual true, that the actual true reason why he was assassinated. Again, this is still, I mean, yeah, let's keep going. Let's go. I'm already, I'm already dipping into shit that, 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 that has to wait. <laughs> the Eisenhower administration had created a plan to overthrow Fidel Castro's regime in Cuba Led by the Central Intelligence Agency with help from the U.S. military, the plan was for an invasion of Cuba 
by a counter-revolutionary insurgency composed of U.S.-trained anti-Castro-Cuban exiles led by CIA paramilitary officers. The intention was to invade Cuba and instigate an uprising among the Cuban, among the Cuban people, hoping to remove Castro from power. Kennedy approved the final invasion plan on April 4th, 1961. So a quick, a quick history lesson for those of you who, who might not understand. Fidel Castro was, the, was, the, was, was Cuba's main and only dictator for several centuries. Now, I don't know very much about the details of Fidel Castro, but I do know that his country was starved and famished, that he, he led that country with an iron fist. If you were anti-military, or excuse me, if you are anti-government, you were anti-alive, and you'd just be dead. A lot of people, a lot of Cubans were, were, were uh, imprisoned and murdered and, and, and killed, I mean, executed because for their, for their view on the anti-Castro uh, organization. Cuba, I, I'm not sure if they still are, but I know when Castro was, was around, they were a communist country. So with Cuba, I mean, with uh, Fidel Castro being the communist leader, there's a lot of things that the, the common people didn't, didn't have privilege to, like housing, food, money, medical treatment. There's just a lot of things that, that Cuba, the, end, the, the, the Castro administration, did not allow their citizens due to a communist running. Again, I don't know exactly how. I just know that shit's going really bad in Cuba right now. And, you know, Cuba really, they need help. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, and I, don't, and I don't mean that in a condescending way. They, that government really needs help, and the people need to stop suffering. But, I mean, it hasn't really changed. The Cuba hasn't really changed in, in the several decades where Fidel Castro was running it. And it, it's sad. I mean, it, it's, it's a bullshit. So Kennedy approved the final invasion on April 4th, 1961, to overthrow Fidel Castro to liberate the Cuban people. The Bay of Pigs invasion began on April 17th, 1961. 1,500 U.S.-trained Cubans dubbed Brigade, dubbed Brigade 2506 landed on the island. No U.S. air support was provided. CIA Director Alan Dulles later stated that they thought the president would authorize any action that was needed for success once the troops were on the ground. 2,506 U.S.-trained Cubanos landed on Cuba April 17, 1961. You would think that would be enough to overthrow a, a military, go I mean, a, a, a government-ran country, would you think? So the Bay of Pigs, one of the biggest anti-Castro invasions that we know of, well, that I know of, I haven't really made anything. If you know, if you know more about the Bay of Pigs, or if you know that there was more U.S.-led invasions and, and assassination attempts for Cuba, let me know. Graveyardgrumbler at mail.com. Graveyardgrumblerpodcast on Podbean, Instagram, Good Pods, and Podchaser. Just hit me up with a message there. Let me know. And I will—we will have a conversation about that. By April 19, 1961, the Cuban government had captured or killed the invading exiles, and Kennedy was forced to negotiate for the release of the 1,189 survivors. Oh, yeah, you heard that right. By April 19, 1961, the Cuban government captured or killed half, just about half, of the invading exiles. So there was only 1,189 survivors out of 2506 they were they were they were cap they were captured in 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 the in, in 
were being held in a, in a, in a Cuban prison for that for for invading and trying to overthrow the cuban government how how do you how do you fail to overthrow the government with 2000 oh jesus christmas 20 months later cuba released the captured exiles in exchange for 53 million dollars worth of food and medicine yeah you heard that right not money not money we 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 bartered with with castro to let go of our 1,189 survivors for $53 million worth of food and medicine. Now, I don't know how true this is. I really don't understand. I mean, I don't know how accurate this next piece of information is that I'm going to give you. However, allegedly, the, the Cubano government held and or they, 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 they picked and chose what was the 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 better of the of the food that was given to to Cuba by America according to reports i i, I don't know how this is allegedly allegedly the cuban government and then the high ranking people chose you know they 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 got to pick what they wanted to have for their food and received the best medicine first before the rest of the people received the food and, and medicine from the United States. Again, I don't know how accurate that is. That that is just something that I read. So if anybody has correction on that, let me know. Graveyardgrumbler at mail.com. Not Gmail at mail.com. I don't know why I made a mail account. I should have just made a Gmail account. The incident made Castro feel very wary of the U.S. and led him to believe that another invasion would take place. Well, yeah, somebody just attempted to throw me over to, or to overthrow me. Yeah, I'm going to be expecting another invasion ASAP Rockies. I'm not going to trust someone who just tried to get me killed. <laughs> That's just the bottom line. Biogra biographer Richard Reeves said that Kennedy focused, focused primarily on the political repercussions of the plan rather than military considerations. When it proved unsuccessful, he was convinced that the plan was a setup to make him look bad. Yes, that is an actual thing. An actual, an actual uh, report was saying that John F. Kennedy feels that the assassinate or the the Bay of Pigs was an elaborate scheme held by I don't know what individuals, by by a group of individuals within the government that continued to hate him when he became president. So they created this Bay of Pigs, or they 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 intentionally made the Bay of Pig invasion, the Bay of Pigs invasion fail to make Kennedy look bad with the public. So number one, be outvoted, overthrown, or easily defeated in the in the upcoming presidential run. I don't know how true that is. That is just reports that I have read. So we'll see. Um, we'll, 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 I wonder what, what, what was the truth. Now, this is the Bay of Pigs, again, was one of the reasons or one of the alleged reasons why Kennedy was assassinated. Is it true? Nobody knows. JFK took responsibility for the failure, saying, quote, we got, a gig, we got a big kick in the leg and we deserved it, but maybe we'll learn something from it, end quote. He appointed Robert Kennedy to help lead a committee to examine the cause of the failure. In late 1961, the White House formed the special group, the special, the, uh, the special group augmented, headed by Robert Kennedy and including Edward Lansdale, Secretary Robert McNamara, McNamara and others. <laughs> the group's objective to overthrow Castro via espionage, sabotage, and other covert attack or covert tactics were never pursued. 
In March 1962, Kennedy rejected Operation Northwood's proposals for false flag attacks against American military and civilian targets and blaming them on the Cuban government in order to gain approval for a war against Cuba. However, the administration continued to plan for an invasion of Cuba in the summer of 1962. So with 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 the with the failed invasion of pigs, Kennedy already felt like they were they were trying to set him up and make him look bad. I mean that that's already given. I mean I, when you have somebody trained that way and it's such a, a delicate situation, you would expect nothing but success. But when you have a big failure, you can't help but to think that you were pretty much set up. It's, it's kind of shitty, but that's what it is. So in March 1962, Kennedy rejected Operation Northwoods. Which then it was proposals for false flag attacks against American military and civilian targets and blaming them on the Cuban government on order. So these false flag attacks apparently were Cuban, where people were being attacked and by American military and civilian targets. Uh, sometime during the sixties, I, I I missed the where I read that where the, the meat of that of that uh, of that report. But apparently those, these were false flag reports, meaning they, that the government was making these up in order to gain, or yeah, the government, I don't know what's part of the government, that's just the government, that they were building up this, this, this repertoire or this backing in order to have the, uh, approval from everyone that, hey, we can't have uh, Cuba in hurting our government and our, and, our, and our civilian, or I mean our military and our civilians, so we are going to strike, we're going to strike now. So the military was planning to invade Cuba the summer of 1962. One of Cuba's biggest allies, by the way, is Russia, which I don't know for you, for, for my, my Americans here in the States and who are living abroad, if you, if you know how much beef America and Russia has had through, throughout the, the several years of our existence, you would know, or not you would know, but it would be safe to say that... It would have been a shitty, shitty war had we invaded Cuba and the Russians would have been involved. I mean, you, you have, it's kind of an obligation. You have a bully picking on, on your homeboys and then you, you know, they jump your homeboy and you're like, yo, I need to jump in because you're not going to beat up my homeboy 57 million to one. So we're going to go ahead and step in this one time. So could you imagine what kind of war that would have been? We're not talking about the Cold War that, that Russia and the U.S. entered. We're talking about just all-out war between the United States, Cuba, and Russia. That would have been all kinds of bad. On October 14th, 1962, CIA U-2 spy planes took photographs of the Soviets' construction of intermediate-range ballistic missile sites in Cuba. The photos were shown to Kennedy on October 16th. A consensus was reached that the missiles were offensive in nature and thus posed an immediate nuclear attack. Oh, yeah, you, you, you heard that right. The Soviet military were building ballistic missiles in, in Cuba. Because why? Because they're allies. Russia and, and Cuba sparked up a deal and said, yo, we should be friends. Slap hands. They slapped hands. And now the, Russia, the Soviets were building ballistic missiles on their island. Boy, I tell you, can you imagine? They were an immediate nuclear threat. Could you imagine if that shit would have popped off and, and Cuba and, and the Soviets would have fired, they would have, they would have fired nuclear missiles 
out to uh, out to Florida. You know how many dead gators would have been floating around after after a nuclear bomb would have hit Florida? Boy, I tell you, I'm so glad that did not happen. I haven't even visited Florida yet. How was I going to be? How was I going to grow up? Want to go to Florida? And there's no Florida because that shit got blown up and flown away. Boy, I tell you, Kennedy faced a dilemma. If the U.S. attacked the sites, it might lead to nuclear war with the USSR. But if the U.S. did nothing, it would be faced with the increased threat from close-range nuclear weapons. The U.S. would also appear to the world as less committed to the defense of the hemisphere. On a personal level, Kennedy needed to show resolve in reaction to Krosklov, especially after the Vienna summit. So either we, the U.S., you either Kennedy attacks and goes out in all nuclear war, or we sit back and do nothing, like some, and and be looked at as a bitch and leave the entire hemisphere open for for nuclear attacks and other and other attacks that is that's going to happen on the U.S. Which is which? I mean, that's why I would never want to become president ever in my entire life. There's too many goddamn decisions to make. When you when you think it's a good decision, you fuck up, and then you you realize that it wasn't a good decision after all. So what do we do? Huh? Huh? Jesus Christmas! You know, I'm, I'm gonna have a poll. As soon as I figure out how to do polls, I'm gonna have I'm gonna figure out how to do a poll on on Instagram, I believe, where I'm gonna say if you were president of the United States in 1960, what what year was this? In 1962, and you had a choice to face the the the, the nuclear the the nuclear uh, war between Russia and saving and not doing anything. What would you do? I think I'm going to do that. More than a third of U.S. National Security Council members favored an unannounced air assault on the missile sites, but for some of them, this conjured up an image of Pearl Harbor in reverse. There was also some concerns from the international community that the assault plan was an overreaction in light of the fact that Eisenhower had placed PGM-19 Jupiter missiles in Italy and Turkey in 1958. Oh, so how are we going to get mad over one country, we'll say, you know, with the Soviets putting putting missiles uh, in, in Cuba, but we did the same exact thing in Italy and Turkey in 1958. Huh. That's kind of like calling them. That's that's like the gooch saying calling the asshole stinky. You know what I mean? It's like you you can't you can't say one thing and then turn around and do the other thing. It just doesn't make any sense. But if you but at the same time you don't want to look like a bitch and not say anything or not do anything because again people are going to start testing your gangster. And if you can't if if your gangster's tested and you can't back up with those hands, then it's all over. It, it, it's pretty much done. But could you imagine the severity? Just think about it. The severity of someone saying that it might be Pearl Harbor, but in reverse. So for those of you who aren't familiar with with history, one of the World War II things that popped off that made America go to war was that the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. They just bombed the shit out of Pearl Harbor, killing several thousands of military personnel and civilians which pissed off america by the way america is the only country to let off nuclear uh, a nuclear bomb which we did let let off in hiroshima and another place in japan that i can't remember at this moment so we let off two atomic bombs so we can end the war with japan and that, that was some fucked up shit so can you imagine someone saying 
the attack on Pearl Harbor, but in reverse. We would be doing a Pearl Harbor type assault attack if we if we went and bombed uh, Cuba. That's all bad. I'm I'm really glad that that didn't happen. I mean, that no one. I don't know. Let, let, let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. It also could not be assured that the assault would be 100% effective. In concurrence with the majority majority vote of the NSC, Kennedy decided on a naval on a naval quarantine. On October 22nd, he dispatched a message to Khrushchev and announced the decision on TV. So he said, yeah, we're not going to bomb them. We're not going to do anything. What we are going to do is we're going to have a naval quarantine, meaning that any ship coming from the USSR, coming from the Soviets, will not be allowed to leave this certain area. They are quarantined. You are just stay there. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. We are here to stay. Bottom line. One Soviet flagship was stopped and boarded. On October 28th, Khrushchev agreed to dismantle the missile sites subject to U.N. inspections. The U.S. publicly promised never to invade Cuba and privately agreed to remove its Jupiter missiles from Italy and Turkey, which were by then obsolete and had been supplanted by submarines equipped with UGM-27 Polaris missiles. So, so America's a little sneaky, sneaky. This is this is one of the reasons why the governments from all around the world are are always questioning their their <laughs> their honesty. You know, you have you you have uh, America saying, yeah, well, you know what? Because we want you to dismantle your your Soviet miss, missiles in Cuba, we will agree to take away our missiles from Italy and Turkey. They don't belong there. We'll take them out. We agree with you. Yo, no problem. But then the people who agreed to remove the, the the missiles from Italy and Turkey are laughing since those missiles are are irrelevant. They no longer have the technology and the power that America is looking for. So in so therefore, they they were replaced with the UGM twenty seven Polaris missiles. So removing them would not affect the, the would not affect. American firepower by any way, shape, or form. It was more like, I just pulled the wool over your heads. Yeah, okay, we'll remove these from Italy and Turkey, but guess what? We have some more boom-booms right here. You know what I mean? <laughs> the crisis brought the world closer to nuclear war than at any point before or after. It is considered that the humanity of both Khrushchev and Kennedy prevailed. The crises improved the image of American willpower and the president's credibility. Kennedy's approval rating increased from 66% to 70% immediately thereafter. Huh. So by not, not having uh, a nuclear war, they said, yo, he, he's doing his job. Let's go ahead and, and, and uh, give him more ratings. Let's, make his, let's boost his ego since he is one of the best people ever in the world. <laughs> so let's continue. The death of President Kennedy, I'm telling you, I'm jumping through this because there is a lot of information to be held. I mean, this again, this might be at least a, at least a two part, possibly a three part at the most episode. There's a lot of shit to go in here. So the death of Kennedy. President Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas at 1230 p.m. Central Standard Time on Friday, November 22nd, 1963. He was in Texas on a political trip to smooth over frictions in the Democratic Party between liberals Ralph Yarbrough and Don Yarbrough, there is no relation, and conservative John, and conservative John Connolly. 
Traveling in a presidential motorcade through downtown Dallas, he was shot once in the back, the bullet exiting via his throat and once in his head. You just heard the conspiracy. Or you just heard the reason for the conspiracy. The president was traveling in a presidential motorcade through downtown Dallas, which downtown Dallas is gorgeous, by the way. He was shot once in the back, the bullet exiting via his throat, and once in the head. There was two shots let off by the sh- by this unknown shooter. Like, the, trust me, you're going to want to tune in to next week's episode. It's just going to get better and more crazy, and or it's going to get even crazier, and you're going to scratch your head like, yo, why is America so jacked up? <laughs> Kennedy was taken to Parkland Hospital for emergency medical treatment where he was pronounced dead 30 minutes later at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. He was 46 years old and had been in office for 1,036 days. So, it, unfortunately, I mean, listener discretion is, is advised. Not, not, I mean, not... Not the episode of listener discretion is advised. However, viewer discretion is advised. If you would look up, there's a, there's like a little 10, 15 second movie clip or little clip where, where they show the actual Kennedy or at President Kennedy actually being assassinated. Now, if you look closely, you can seriously see the 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 president's brain i mean I, I hate to say it but his the back of his head gets blown off with the impact and the and the and the exiting of of the round that was fired at his head what i'm curious to know is how are you going to pronounce someone dead 30 minutes later when he was literally dead on on site i mean he was doa he when when that second bullet hit him in the head he was done i mean it, it, the again just just if you're interested and and you want to know what i'm talking about just look up John F. Kennedy assassination video, and it'll pop up. It's all over YouTube. It, it, I mean, professors use it. There's investigators that are using it. There's a lot of videos out there of the same thing. However, if you are squeamish, do not watch the video because it does show President Kennedy's head being blown off in the back. So just a warning. Lee Harvey Oswald, an order filler at the Texas School Book Depository from which the shots were fired, was arrested for the murder of police jo- uh, police officer J.D. Tippett and was subsequently subsequently charged with Kennedy's assassination. So for those of you just, again, I'm going to go over this later on through with more of the conspiracies, but the reason why it said that uh, John F. Kennedy, or not John F. Kennedy, but uh, Leo Harvey Oswald was arrested for the murder of police officer J.D. Tippett and then was uh, charged with Kennedy's assassination. Allegedly, suppose, I mean, again, this is this is all from reports that were, that were reading that after he killed, after he allegedly killed or assassinated the president, he took off running, left his rifle in the book depository that he was, that he was, that he took the shot from, walked over down to, to go watch a movie, I believe that's what he said. And then I don't know if he was, when he was walking into the movie or when he was leaving the movie, the cop stopped and asked him to ask him a question. He shot the cop right then and there. Obviously, he was arrested for that. And then later, he was charged with the murder or with the assassination of President Kennedy. Lee Harvey Oswald denied shooting anyone, claiming he was a patsy and later was shot dead by Jack Ruby on November 24th before he could be prosecuted. Ruby was arrested and convicted for the murder of Oswald. Ruby successfully appealed his conviction and death sentence, but became ill and died of cancer on January 3rd, 1967, while the date for his new trial was being set. 
So this guy, Jack Ruby, this is how he killed Lee Harvey Oswald. I, I, I'm, I'm, my brain is working at 37 miles per second right now because I want to get to the, the meat and potatoes of all this shit. So Jack Ruby, so Lee, Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested and taken to Dallas police station where he was put down in a cell in the basement. Now, again, we're going to get into all of this stuff later. I'm just giving you a little bit of, of teaser. Lee Harvey Oswald was questioned, of course, and interrogated by police, but there was no records documenting what the conversation was about. There was no void. There was no recording, although recording full interrogations have been popularly used because of discovery not a few years beforehand. There's no records of what was said and what was talked about with Lee Harvey Oswald. He was Lee Harvey Oswald was down in the police station in in a basement where the cells were at when Jack Ruby walked in a police station with a firearm and shot Lee Harvey Oswald point blank in front of the cops and down in the basement. That's what the, 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 the that's what it, that is what the reports were 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 said, and I don't know. What the truth is, I'm just here, NSA, FBI, CIA, who's listening to me do this podcast. Yo, I'm just reading what I get off the internet, okay? We can't always believe the internet, but at the same time, we can't. You know what I mean? So for, for Ruby to successfully appeal his conviction and death sentence, but then later died of cancer on January 3rd, 1967, while the date for his new trial was being set, is kind of, it's, it's kind of weird to me. You were witnessed by several cops to have killed a man in a police station, but yet you you fought the original charges and won? Huh. President Johnson quickly issued an executive—remember, uh, Lyndon B. Johnson was uh, John F. Kennedy's vice president, so by American rule, uh, once the president is dead, the vice president automatically and immediately takes uh, president's, uh, the, takes the president's place, becoming the, the president. So, President Johnson quickly issued an executive order to create the Warren Commission, chaired by Chief Justice Earl Warren, to investigate the, assass- the, investigate the assassination. The commission concluded that Oswald acted alone in killing Kennedy and that Oswald was not part of any conspiracy. The results of this investigation are disputed by many. The assassination proved to be a pivotal moment in U.S. history because of its impact on the nation and the ensuing political repercussions. The Warren Commission was was created by Lyndon B. Johnson, who, by the way, many have suspected to be a co-conspirator in the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Oh, yeah, you heard me right. Yeah, 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 you heard me right. It is also stated that Oswald was not part of any conspiracy and acted alone in the assassination of John F. Kennedy. As we get more into this episode, you're going to wonder why I said that so low and put so much emphasis on it. This shit is crazy. In 2004, Fox News poll found that 60% of Americans thought there had been a conspiracy to kill President Kennedy, while 74% thought that there had been a cover-up. A Gallup poll in November 2013 showed 61% believed in a conspiracy and only 30% thought that Oswald did it alone. In 1979, the House Select Committee on Assassinations concluded that it believed, quote, that Kennedy was the was probably assassinated as a result of a conspiracy. 
The committee was unable to identify the other gunmen or the extent of the conspiracy, end quote. So even, even the, the Assassination Investigation Committee said that Kennedy was assassinated because of a probable, probably assassinated because of a conspiracy. Yet we are in 2021 and we have yet to discover why he was actually killed. No one knows the main reason, but at the same time, allegedly everyone knows who, who worked around the government around that time knows exactly why he was killed. The reason why I segued the Marilyn Monroe case into, or the John F. Kennedy for Marilyn Monroe is because there is a, there is a study of assassination by, that was released by the CIA around the same time Marilyn Monroe was murdered. And it was said to show that she died of suicide to make it look like a very tragic suicide to ply her or ply the individual, not her, not her, ply the individual who or the, the intended target with alcohol, drugs, and to reach to get them when they are at their lowest in order to convince them to kill themselves or be fueled and fed substances in order for them to die. So if that's one of the biggest conspiracy, what makes you think that, or that's a big conspiracy, what makes you think that President Kennedy being assassinated with, in the middle of Dallas, Texas, after several issues in his, in his government, in his political running, or his political, uh, his political job, or his presidential job, that he wasn't going to be assassinated. Remember, there's a lot of Southerners, there's a lot of Southern uh, Congress members and senators that despise John F. Kennedy because he wanted to to the, he wanted to improve civil rights. He is one of the, the John F. Kennedy is one of the main voices who wanted to bring literally everyone together. Again, we are going to segue. Oh my gosh, God damn it! I just segued into another goddamn conspiracy. Jesus, Christmas trees in June. All right, so after we do the, the mini episodes of John F. Kennedy, we're going to segue into the Martin Luther King Jr. assassination conspiracy as well. Fuck. All right, here we go. Let's keep going. In 2002, historian Carl M. Brower concluded that the public's fascination with the assassination may indicate a psychological denial of Kennedy's death, a mass wish to undo it. I tell you, we are going to end this episode right here at death of conspiracy is going to be the beginning of the of next week's episode <laughs> or ne next next episode on the Kennedy. Yes, I'm going to stop it right here. We are this is we're, we're almost an hour in already. And I'm telling you, this shit just keeps getting more and more into it. There's not going to be any graveyard grumbler final thought. There's not going to be any of that. We're going to end it here on uh, death and conspiracy. This is, that's going to be the next topic that we're going to talk about here in the upcoming episode. So announcements. I have a really huge, huge freaking announcement. And I am so happy and proud that I am, I am going to be announcing this. Next Saturday's episode, it, yes, I know that, that I'm leaving everybody on a cliffhanger, but this episode is coming up. What, what I've been working on getting this, uh, this episode or this, this uh, deal for, for a little while now. So next Saturday's episode is going to be, I'm going to have a special guest. His name is Ryan Kruger. He directed a thriller horror movie called Fried Berry, which is available on Shudder. And please, I strongly, strongly suggest you watch that movie. It is a weird, awesome, good movie. I mean, I, I went into it not knowing anything about it. 
I, I had a couple people who had watched the movie. Uh, Mr. My my homeboy in uh, in England, Mr. Lee. He uh, he told me about, hey man, you should check out this movie. It's kind of weird, but I think I think you might dig it. And it's by you know a homie by uh, one of his friends by the name of Ryan Ryan Kruger. And I said, damn, that name sounds pretty cool in itself. So yeah, I'll check it out. So I watched the movie, which is available on Shutter. Please just Shutter has a seven day free trial. If you don't want to buy Shutter, just at least get Shutter for the seven days and watch this movie, Fried Berry, so you can have a better understanding of what's gonna what we're gonna talk about and what's gonna happen on next Saturday's episode. Just just check out Fried Berry. It's it's a it's a weird movie. It's entertaining, but you know, just check it out so so we can uh, so you can understand what's gonna go on here with, on next Saturday's episode. Ryan Kruger directed that movie. He wrote it, directed it, and it is it is a pretty badass movie. And I have the privilege and the honor to announce that he will be on the show. I am getting him show on the show, and that episode will be released next Saturday. We're going to be recording it tomorrow, which is Sunday, but it's going to be a good one. I'm very, I'm super, super, super excited. I mean, I'm super goddamn excited to. Uh, to uh, get get Ryan Kruger on here, I feel I feel very I'm very happy and very privileged to get a, a movie director to uh, to come on the show, and it's uh, it's going to be fun. So keep an eye out for that. Again, that's going that's going to happen next uh, next Saturday. We're going to record the episode tomorrow, and I I will release it on next Saturday. So that, that's going to be uh it's going to be a fun it's going to be a fun fun episode. I'm I'm pretty excited and and can't wait for uh, for it to come out. Other than that, that's it. No announcements other than uh, part two is coming is going to be coming real soon. We have part two is going to come after the Ryan Kruger interview. So just stay tuned for that. That's going to that's going to come back. We're going to do the Ryan Kruger interview on Saturday and then the following week. So in two weeks, these the rest of the, the conclusion of John F. Kennedy conspiracy is going to happen. So thank you, everyone. And as usual, good morning. Good night. Goodbye. <laughs> How did I fuck up my own saying? Jesus Christ. I'm so excited. And as always, good morning. Good day, good night, goodbye. The world is very different now. A man holds in his mortal hands the power to abolish all forms of human poverty and all forms of human life. And yet the same revolutionary beliefs for which our forebears fought are still at issue around the globe. The belief that the rights of man come not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God. We dare not forget today that we are the heirs of that first revolution. Let the word go forth from this time and place to friend and foe alike that the torch has been passed to a new generation of Americans born in this century, tempered by war, disciplined by a hard and bitter peace, proud of our ancient heritage, and unwilling to witness or permit the slow undoing of those human rights to which this nation has always been committed and to which we are committed today at home and around the world. Let every nation know whether it wishes us well or ill,
that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. This much we pledge and more. To those old allies whose cultural and spiritual origins we share, we pledge the loyalty of faithful friends. United, there is little we cannot do in a host of cooperative ventures. Divided, there is little we can do. For we dare not meet a powerful challenge at odds and split asunder. To those new states whom we welcome to the ranks of the free, we pledge our word that one form of colonial control shall not have passed away merely to be replaced by a far more iron tyranny. We shall not always expect to find them supporting our view, but we shall always hope to find them strongly supporting their own freedom and to remember that in the past those who foolishly sought power by riding the back of the tiger ended up inside. This is the end, this is the end, this is the end. Beautiful friend. Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. Grumbler.